Thank you, Hal. History is important. We need to remember it. And, of course, that's what God the Father wants us to do as well, to remember history, biblical history, what God has done for us. And very often we forget. So history is important. Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. We're thankful that uh, we are able to open, and we're thankful for those who are also listening online. We always take a few seconds as we begin our service for spiritual preparation. Spiritual preparation for us, of course, is confession of sins. We need to be in fellowship, in fellowship with God the Holy Spirit, because he is teaching us about the Word of God. And today, that is going to be the main subject that we will be studying in 1 Corinthians 2. For grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's take a few seconds, closing our eyes, bowing our heads. This is our opportunity to ensure that we are ready to to worship. Dearly Father, we're thankful for our marvelous relationship with you, and we're thankful that uh, we learn more and more about you and our relationship through the Word of God. We're thankful also, Father, that you love us and you've provided for us through your Son's finished work on the cross. Periodically, there are those who believe that they are already children of God uh, just by being born into the human race, but that's not true. We need to understand that our relationship with you comes through the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrificial work on the cross. And for those who have never made that or never had that understanding and never uh, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, it is critical It is critical for you <clears throat> as we begin our service this morning. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is simple. It's a thought. Believing in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We ask for your blessing upon our service this morning that it will honor you and glorify you, and that we will be edified as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Hal. Another great song, a song that I remember singing in the church at home. These are songs that teach us about God. And as a matter of fact, many of these songs are taken from psalms, from various passages in psalm. And with that in mind, let's turn to Psalm 86. I enjoy reading psalms, and I enjoy reading them with you. Psalm 81 is one of David's songs. It's sometimes, I don't know if you've read much about the the books of Psalm, but Psalms is broken into five different books. And we believe that it was structured that way because of God the Holy Spirit leading those who were compiling these Psalms. And we find David's, uh, that book one and book two are heavily composed of David's psalms. Book three, not so much. This is book three, and this is the only psalm that, uh, that David wrote in book three. We do find his psalms sprinkled through four and five. But here... Psalm 86 is another one of those marvelous passages where David is under pressure. And for us, uh, every day, 
as we encounter the events of the day, very often we find ourselves under pressure as well. And it's important for us to realize that not only David, but others have realized and written about what God has done for them and how God provides for us, even in difficult times. And here we are with Psalm 86. This is uh, believed to be formed as a prayer. Therefore, it's very easy for us to understand and to put our place in uh, David's. Verse 1 says, Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me. Another way of expressing this is to bend. Uh, We're not asking God to bow down, but we're asking him to hear, to bend down. This is figurative language, uh, which is what we find throughout Psalms and other poetry. Bend down your ear. In other words, hear. O Lord, hear me, hear my prayer, for I am poor and needy. The word poor here, I think, is a little better understood as oppressed. Uh, I am oppressed and I'm in need. Preserve my life. Another way to express that is to keep me, to preserve me, uh, to guard my life, for I am holy. Uh, Holy here has the sense, I'm devoted to you, Father. I am loyal. You are my God. Save your servant. I like deliver here. That would be David's prayer as he faced uh, those who uh, were oppressing him, whether it was Philistines or Saul uh, or even other times after he became king. Deliver your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord. Be merciful, show mercy. Uh, Another way to say that is uh, show favor to me. For I cry to you all day long, continually. Uh, This is a lesson that we really need to understand is that God is with us. Uh, We are indwelt by all three members of the Godhead. They are with us continually, second by second. And here is David saying we should be in fellowship. We should be in prayer. We should have a conversation with God. We shouldn't ignore him. For I cry to you, I pray to you continually. Rejoice. Rejoice the soul of your servant. That's a little awkward. I think make glad is another way of understanding that. Make glad, cause my soul to rejoice. For you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In other words, he is praying and he's coming to him uh, internally to God. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. Uh, You are good is a little bit bland here, I think. It tells us that God is not only good, but he's perfect. He is uh, remarkable in his care and his love for us. And you're ready to forgive. And abundant in mercy. The word mercy here is different than the uh, verse 3 where it says be merciful. This is chesed. This is the loving kindness. Uh, So God has an abundance of loving kindness, of faithfulness to all who call upon you those who come to you in prayer. Give ear. In other words, we have a figure of speech here. God doesn't have an ear, but David is asking him to give attention. Give attention, O Lord, to my prayer and attend or listen to the voice of my supplication, my requests. Verse 7, in the time or the in the day of my trouble... And this, we would translate this in the time. In other words, whenever it occurs, I will call upon you. And this probably means that it happens quite often, particularly David was under a lot of pressure at various times. And that caused him to grow spiritually. 
in the time of my trouble, my adversity, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. I'm going to go a little bit further because this uh, psalm, to me, is has a lot of significance to us in our spiritual life. Verse 8 says, among, among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord. Among the gods, there were, of course, many who had God, many of them uh, created by the hands of the individual. Well, how powerful, how significant can that be? It's worthless, no matter how skillful the creator is. So among gods, there is none like you. You are unique, we might say. Nor are there any works like your works. Your works are incomparable. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship. Here is the bowing down now. Bowing down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Shall, we would say, they, they honor, uh, they praise your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And that's something that we should recognize. There, This is an incredible statement because God loves us, yet he is the God of the universe. And here we are on this planet, which is not even a speck in the universe. He has the universe in his hands. And he loves us and he cares for us. He is the only, he is the unique God. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Walk means teach me that I may live in your truth. Unite my heart, bind my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God. With all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your mercy, your uh, loving kindness towards me. And you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Here, uh, David says, you have uh, secured me. You have preserved me from death. Uh, We could use this to say you've preserved me from the adversity, the difficulties, the challenge that I face every day, uh, whether it's depression. Sometimes we are very disappointed in what's happening around us. Uh, we don't always understand God's plan for our lives, uh, but he preserves us. He provides for us. And so uh, whether it's physical or psychologically, God provides for us. He delivers our souls from those challenges, those difficulties. All right. Psalm 86, 86, a wonderful psalm. Let's turn now to our passage. We are studying 1 Corinthians. And the passage that we are studying now, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, is, um, in my mind, sort of a unit. It is a unit from verse 6 all the way to verse 16. We've studied verse 6 through verse 9. And while I'm not certain, I would really love to be able to move through verses 10 through 16. And you're probably saying, well, that's seven verses. And I'm saying, yes, I know. So we'll have to uh, listen carefully or as some of my friends have said, you'll have to listen quickly. All right. An introduction here to this section. Paul said in verses 1 through 5 that he did not speak to the Corinthians with impressive dialogue or eloquent oration, but only with a simple message of the gospel. And I think that is something that we really need to understand Uh, The gospel is not complicated. It's simple. We simply need to be able to communicate it in a simple manner, in an accurate manner. Paul was not trying to compete with the traveling philosophers, the debaters, or the wise men of that day, but presented the message of Jesus Christ crucified, a message 
that the Corinthians could hear, they could understand, and they could believe. And many had. The importance of his words was found in the divine message of the power of God the Holy Spirit. And Paul is emphasizing not only the message, but the power that uh, accompanies that message. In verses 6 through 9, Paul contrasted or contrasts the human viewpoint of the world to the divine view, viewpoint of Paul's message. So there's a difference here, what man thinks and what God thinks. Paul's message was bringing the believers at Corinth to spiritual maturity, while the presentation of the philosophers were be bringing the unbelievers to nothing. They were perishing. And what Paul was saying is that the spiritual message of the word of God is is bringing us, carrying us, lifting us to a time of glorification when we die. At the end of that, what will we have? At death, what will we have? Well, it all depends upon our spiritual maturity, how we've grown. And we're told that there will be rewards in heaven. The unbeliever, the rulers, the scribes, the wise men, what are they accruing when they perish? Nothing. They end up with nothing. And so there's a significant significant difference here. The believers could understand Paul's message because as believers, they were assisted by God, the Holy Spirit. The rulers crucified Jesus because they did not believe and they were negative to the gospel. It's not as if they couldn't have believed. And that's the point that Paul makes. And we'll read this. They did not have God, the Holy Spirit's ministry to reveal the truth to them. They didn't have that ministry because they didn't believe. They were negative. Finally, in verse 9, Paul uses a passage from the book of Isaiah. He emphasizes the fact that unbelievers cannot perceive or understand the revelation that God has previously prepared or planned or desired for mankind, which is available only to those who love him. So this is where we are as we begin verse 10. Now, what I want to do is read, beginning in verse 6 through 16, because it's a unit. It's unified as Paul teaches about God the Holy Spirit and the spiritual message that he is providing them, he is teaching. Verse 6. However, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, those who are spiritually uh, spiritually growing towards maturity. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the wisdom of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. Remember, they're perishing and they have nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. We, we are giving you revelation about the church age. It was something that had previously been unknown. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. The human history for believers is moving us towards glory. We have the opportunity, not only the opportunity, but there will be glorification of the believer because we will receive a resurrection body, which none of the rulers of this age knew. They didn't understand it, is another way of saying that. For they, uh, for had they known, had they understood this, they would not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why didn't they understand it? Because they were negative towards the truth. They rejected the truth. But as it's written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, these are figures of speech. When we say, I have not seen, nor ear heard, it means there's the, this is the perception 
the, they don't have the perception. And why didn't they have the perception? It's because, again, they were negative. This is Isaiah 64. And what is Isaiah 64 about? It's about Israel and uh, their rejection of who God was. So they didn't have the perception, nor have entered into the heart of man, nor did they understand their their soul, their inner man. Did they understand this? What didn't they understand? The revelation which God has prepared for those who love him. So there's spiritual information here available to the unbeliever, and many believe. Yet there are those who reject. They simply don't perceive. They don't understand. Verse 10. Verse 10 says, but, and I think this is properly translated. It's a contrast. But God has revealed them. Them is in italics. It's not there, but I believe it's accurate because it's referring it's referring to the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed those things to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? What that says is a man can know what's inside of yourself. As an individual, you know human attitudes, thoughts, and that's what he's saying here. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we believers have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that might that we might, with the results we could say, that we might know the things that have been freely given, graciously given to us by God. Verse 13, these things, again referring to those things which we have seen twice prior, these things, these, this, these thoughts, this revelation, we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing uh, spiritual things with spiritual. Um, Comparing there could also be translated uh, combining, and I think that works, and we'll cover that in a moment. Um, But that phrase is one of the more difficult phrases that we find in the New Testament. Verse 14 but the natural man, the sukikos man, the soulish man, does not receive the things, the revelation, the thoughts of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, can he understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. We understand the revelation of God, the truth of God, because they're spiritually discerned, we would say, and we have the spiritual ability to understand them. The unbeliever does not. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Notice it says all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. And we'll try to clarify that here in a moment. Verse 16, Paul is going to quote another passage from Isaiah. And this is Isaiah 40. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? A question. This was a question that uh, Isaiah was asking in Isaiah 40, a passage that was designed to comfort Israel. And we'll see how he did that. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ, which is the word of God. And that's our comfort. All right. Hold on to your seats, Bibles, pencils. Off we go. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. As we begin here in verses 10 through 16, we'll, we see that Paul is going to continue his explanation of the wisdom of God. This is what chapter 2, chapter 2 is fo- focusing on on the wisdom of God 
and its availability to us and how it's available to us. In verse 10, there's a contrast between the perception of the believer and the unbeliever. But God has revealed them, his revelation, to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. All right. The first point that I'll make here is that God has revealed them. He has revealed these things, the revelation, as found in verse 9. So we, the connection, the unity here is what Paul is saying. God has revealed them, which are the things that were found in verse 9. These things not available to mankind in general. So that's the first point that we have here. Secondly, the things are God's plans. We could say they're his thoughts because it's in the mind of God, the future, what he's prepared for us. So the things are God's plans, his thoughts for the believer. God has wonderful plans for believers. We very often think as we live in Satan's world, and that's an important point, we live in Satan's world. What would we expect? Would we expect paradise? No. We expect difficulties. We expect adversity. We have a fallen body, and we live amongst other individuals who have fallen bodies. Uh, So this is one of our challenges, is to remember that God loves us. He has a plan for us. He has prepared many things for us. And we simply need to trust him. So secondly, the things are God's plans, his thought for believers. And God truly has wonderful plans for believers. And even though we may face challenges, even though we may be disappointed, even though we may have what seems to be adversity or reality of adversity, those who are growing spiritually find themselves uh, still able to rejoice in what God is doing for them. Third, the revelation of these things comes through God the Holy Spirit. How can God the Holy uh, God the Holy Spirit make these revelations? Well, we'll see. The revelation of these things comes through God the Holy Spirit. And Paul is going to explain that through these seven verses, through the next six verses. Fourth, the revelation of these things comes through God the Holy Spirit. How? Because he also is God. God the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. And he is the one. We're told in John, and we'll bump into this, I think, as we go forward, that he is our helper. He is our teacher. He is our comforter. He is our advocate. He does so much for us. He is the restrainer of evil. There are many things that Satan would like to do, and God the Holy Spirit restrains him. So God the Holy Spirit is also God and perceives the thoughts the plans of God the Father. The responsibility of God the Holy Spirit is to reveal God to us, teach us. Now, in verse 11, Paul is going to draw a parallel between man in general and God. Verse 11, For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? We know this because we are humans, We have a sense for what is happening in uh, the human life. Very often there are people who have a great sense for this and others who are a little bit obtuse. They uh, don't really understand uh, what's happening in their own lives. But that's what this says. For what man knows, the things of a man accept the things, uh, the spirit of the man which is in him. And we'll see what the spirit means here in a moment. Uh, And that's one of the things that we see here. God uses 
uh, the word spirit. He uses the word wisdom. He uses them. Paul uses them interchangeably. And very often we only know the exact definition if we understand the context. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. All right. Point one. Now God, now Paul, excuse me, now Paul compares the knowledge of the human, which is generally known or understood by the human to that of God. In other words, we are aware of human thought, human notions, feelings, inclinations. We understand that. Uh, We might look at another person and say, I can understand the inclinations that he has. I understand the notions that he has. Why? Because we understand very often human nature. And then, of course, there's others of us who have a difficult time understanding human nature. But God compares the knowledge of a human to the wisdom of God. In other words, we are aware of human thoughts, notions, feelings, inclinations. Why? Because we encounter those things every day. We encounter them every day. But our knowledge of God must be learned. We must learn about God. Secondly, in verse 11, there are two different words for know, at least in the translations that I'm using. In verse 11, there are two different words for know. The first know refers to innate knowledge, and that's what I've been describing here. The first know refers to innate knowledge. We have it innately. As humans, we have instinctive knowledge about humans, about ourselves, we could say. The second know refers to experiential knowledge, what we learn from experience. Experiential knowledge is what we can learn from our experiences. In this case, the experiences are what God teaches us. The more knowledge we accumulate about God, the closer we come to the thoughts and the desires of God. And that's what Paul is saying here. Humans have a certain amount of knowledge, innate, instinctive, but the knowledge of God we learn from experience, and that experience is revealed to us by God the Holy Spirit. Third, in this verse, we also have the word spirit used twice. So the word spirit is also used twice. The first use refers to the inner being of a person, which is often called the soul. As a matter of fact, I think that's how we could probably translate this. For what man knows innately, instinctively, the things of a man except the soul of the man, uh, his inner core, we might say. So we would say that the first use refers to the inner being of a person, which is often called the soul, the heart. We can even use the mentality. Even we can use the word spirit, and that's what we have here. Uh, in James 2.26, we see this used in this way. James 2.26. James 2.26, of course, is somewhat of a, con- a conclusion that James is making after he's taught about salvation. And once we have a relationship with God, there is to be response of us to God. And here in his text, he calls it works. We could call it service. And James teaches that after salvation, we should serve. There should be production. There should be fruit. And he says, for the body without spirit is dead. What does that mean? Without that the human body that doesn't have life, doesn't have a spirit, doesn't have a soul, we could say, is dead. He's also saying that faith 
without works, without application, without production, is dead. He's not saying that you're not a believer. He simply says that as a believer, you are almost worthless unless you are serving God through your spiritual life. And so that's one of the ways that we can take that spirit, soul, or mentality. The second use refers to God the Holy Spirit, which was also used in verse 10. So the context here, the context here helps us to distinguish the meaning of these same words. So for what man knows the things of a man except the attitudes, the uh, the soul of a man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And the word spirit here is a reference to God the Holy Spirit. For the things of God, which we saw also in verse 9 and verse 10, are understood by mankind by the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So Paul continues to emphasize the importance of God the Holy Spirit in our understanding of the Word of God. And you might say, okay, well, how is this important? Well, our understanding of God the Holy Spirit is there to help us, to teach us. And uh, we should be thankful for God the Holy Spirit. We should be thankful for His ministry in our lives. But for us to understand the Word of God, we need to read the Word of God. We need to study the Word of God. We need to immerse ourselves in it and let God the Holy Spirit teach us, help us, comfort us, provide for us tranquility. And that's what the Word of God should do for us as God the Holy Spirit teaches us, helps us. 1 Corinthians 2.12. As we move to verse 12, Paul explains how we as believers receive what is graciously given to us by God. Now we have received, now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And freely given is one word that refers to grace. And I think graciously given is a better translation, but freely uh, works. All right. Verse 1, or point 1 here. We, in verse 12, is a reference to Paul, to his gospel team, and to all believers as well. In other words, to us, to his believers. Now, we, as believers refers to his gospel team, to Paul, to his gospel team, and to all believers, to us. So we have received something. Secondly, the first word spirit refers to the thinking of the cosmic world. In other words, we live in Satan's world. So now we have received not the spirit, and we could say here, we use the, the spirit, the thought, the attitude, So the first word spirit in this context refers to the thinking or the human viewpoint of the cosmic world. From Satan's world, we receive a worldview that is antithetic to God's viewpoint. We very often call it the divine viewpoint. So Satan's world is uh, swirls around us with human viewpoint. But it's antithetical to God's divine view, his, his viewpoint. Paul says that Satan's viewpoint is not the spirit or the thinking or attitude of the believer. That's what he says here. Third, the second spirit has generally been understood by theologians to be God the Holy Spirit. So the spirit, the second spirit here, has generally been understood by theologians to be God the Holy Spirit. But it also likely refers to the human spirit. The human spirit. Um, This is somewhat controversial, whether it is God the Holy Spirit 
Um, are we just dichotomous or are we trichotomous? Um, the unbeliever certainly has a body and a soul. The believer, as taught by certain passages, is trichotomous, has a body, a soul, and a spirit. And that's not God the Holy Spirit, but that's a spirit that has been given to us so that God the Holy Spirit can teach us. And we have a human spirit that is receptive to what is being taught us. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We studied this at the time. I don't know that I emphasized this. But 1 Thessalonians 5 in verse 23. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, now, this has two possibilities. It could simply be a merism, as we say, a figure of speech. That means you completely. Or it could also be teaching that there is uh, three parts to the believer's uh, entity, soul, spirit, and body. Let's turn to another passage that, that is certainly familiar, and that's Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of the soul and the spirit and of joints and marrow, and is discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So here we have a sense that there is a difference between the soul and the spirit. And I think that this is a reference to the human spirit that is created by God at the point of salvation, and it's given to us. So... The second word, spirit, has generally been understood by theologians to be God the Holy Spirit. But it is also likely that it refers to the human spirit. The human spirit is created at the moment of salvation so that we have a spiritual connection with God. God the Holy Spirit teaches us through the human spirit, not simply through our soul. There is another uh, identity there, a spiritual Access, we might say. The unbeliever has a soul and a body, but the believer has a body, a soul, and a spirit. For we can never discover the mysteries of God or the benefits of Christ's death by ourselves. That's what he's saying. In order that we might know the things that have been graciously given to us by God. So we would never discover the mysteries of God, church age, doctrine, for us here during the church age, or the benefits of Christ's death by ourselves. Point five, but we can know them. We can know them by experience because they have been graciously given to us by God. We know them by experience because they have been graciously given to us by God. And that is the working of God the Holy Spirit and our human spirit working through God God's word. 13. Verse 13, Paul says that what he communicates, what he communicates is not from me, it's from God the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 says, these things, in other words, the revelation that God is providing us, we also speak, we communicate, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, and I'll add word, spiritual word. All right. What Paul taught the wise men of the world could not teach. Philosophers, the debaters, scribes, the wise men, we would say. What Paul taught the wise men of the world could not teach. Paul emphasized that what he was teaching 
divine revelation the intellectuals of the world world could not teach. The information, the knowledge he was giving to the Corinthian believers was from God the Holy Spirit. Secondly, note that the Spirit did not simply dictate words to Paul. This is a side doctrine or understanding that we have. The Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, did not simply dictate words, dictate words to Paul and to the other apostles. He taught them. He taught them the truth. He taught them the, uh, the revelation. The apostles then wrote or spoke with their own vocabulary and style the information that they had learned from God the Holy Spirit. Every now and then, someone will ask the question, um, why is there a difference in what John says or presents and the difference that we see in Paul? Uh, why does Peter, why doesn't he say it the way that Paul says it? It's because they're writing from their own personalities, their own vocabulary. They're explaining in words that make sense to them. And so when we read here, uh, by which God the Holy Spirit teaches, doesn't say dictates, teaches. He teaches the apostles. And then the apostles write using their own vocabulary and their own understanding of what God the Holy Spirit is teaching them. Three, Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Uh, these words are difficult to translate and to interpret. As a matter of fact, there is some, I always like to say, discussion, not controversy. But there's some discussion as to what they mean and how we need to translate this. The Greek term translated comparing, I think, is better translated combining, to combine something. Or we could even say to interpret. But I'm going to stick with combined. The two references to spiritual may mean interpreting spiritual truths to a spiritual person. Or I like, again, combining. Combining spiritual truths with spiritual words. And I think that helps us to understand what the author is doing. He is combining the truth, the spiritual truth that he's learning, and he's combining it then with words, with spiritual words. Uh, I think that the second translation here is better, combining spiritual truth with spiritual words. All right. For, in other words, the phrase teaches that the spiritual truths of God are combined with the spiritual vocabulary of the apostles. And we could go to various passages that... Uh, that enforce this or emphasize this. This is inspiration. The inspiration of God. The, inspira the inspiration of God doesn't remove the personality of the vocabulary, uh, the education of the author, but teaches them. And then they use their personality. Point five, for us, we must see the importance of the Word of God and the power of God the Holy Spirit to understand and apply spiritual information. So again, for us, we must see the importance of the Word of God and the power of God to understand and apply spiritual information. Um, if we're out of fellowship and we're reading the Word of God, very often it makes doesn't make any sense. And God the Holy Spirit is not assisting us. So we need to be in fellowship with God the Holy Spirit as he teaches us. As we mature spiritually, we can faithfully face the trials of Satan's world. That's why the assimilation of the word of God is so important to us. God the Holy Spirit teaches the word of God through our human spirit so that we now not only learn, but as we learn, we can also apply. Sometimes we learn without applying, and that's a problem. 
And I think that's very often why God brings uh, difficulties into our lives. Uh, now, I'm not speaking to anyone personally here. I don't know what's happening in your lives. But very often, we'll encounter difficulties. And that helps us to apply what we have been taught. All right. Well, as always, there is a time limit. And I think David gets up and he moves that hand rather quickly through the clock. We have three more verses here, 14, 15, and 16. And uh, I think I'm going to wait until next week, mostly because I would like to read more in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is a great passage as Isaiah speaks about God, who God is. Uh, uh, and it's, a, it's supposed to be a comforting passage. So we'll come back next week and we'll be comforted. We'll be comforted by what uh, Isaiah says and then how Paul lifts one of the verses and inserts it here in his message. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your remarkable love for us. We're thankful that we understand this from the Word of God and for the passage passages that we have been studying in 1 Corinthians 2. Father, we're thankful that that love provides for us salvation. It provides for us redemption. We are fallen creatures. We have a sin nature. We cannot save ourselves. A slave cannot free himself. As sinners, we need help. And Father, because of your great love for us, you have provided for us your Son, who came to the earth, lived a perfect life, no sin in his life. And he willingly went to the cross to sacrificially pay for the sins of the world. Father, we're thankful that we have a Savior And this Savior comes to the entire world, not to just a select few. But we access his redemption by believing in what he's done for us. His sacrificial, substitutionary work on the cross. And for those who have never really come to grips with this, it's important for us to understand that we aren't all just children of God. We are not all simply going to go to heaven. We're not all... um, living maybe a, a, a good life, which will, us, will, which will provide for us a relationship with you and a life in eternity with our Savior. No, we must believe this is grace, the grace provision that you have uh, provided for us is through simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ's death his spiritual death on the cross. He dies spiritually for us so that we can have a spiritual life, an eternal life. And if there's anyone who has not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is your opportunity. Believe now, simply by understanding what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us and accepting it is not uh, an unacceptable word simply by believing by faith. And at that moment, you have eternal life. You have an eternal destiny. You have a future glorification, which we've learned in this passage. And we're thankful that it's that simple. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.